You're listening to As Read By Me, the podcast where writers read and readers listen. Greetings and welcome to As Read By Me, episode 107. I'm your trusty host, Dave Stiles, and I'm excited to bring you two new voices this week, as well as a returning fan favorite. First up, Joyce Hadley shares a terrifying tale that hits very close to home for Pennsylvanians in The Tornado Story. Then, Peter Waits shares his insights on the nature of celestial beings in Angels. And finally, Melinda Gordon recounts the tale of meeting a dark-eyed stranger in her short story, Dancing with Grown-Ups. And here we go. Hi, this is Joyce Hadley, and this is The Tornado Story, as read by me. I enjoy watching The Wizard of Oz every year, and I marvel at how a fictionalized tornado led Dorothy to the land of munchkins, flying monkeys, and a melting witch. It always reminds me that it's a good thing tornadoes don't happen around here. Hmm, famous last words. It was Thursday, July 29th. Started out as a typical morning for me. A light breakfast quick check of the news, watch my dog scamper after squirrels, shower, get dressed, and I was ready to embrace a new day. It was one of those sunny, humid mornings, typical for July, with rain forecast in the late afternoon. I was a bit concerned when the tree service man arrived at 9.30 to spray the trunk of my maple tree to rid it of those spotted lanternflies. Do you think it's okay to spray today, I asked? Rain is in the forecast for the afternoon. No worry, he replied. This will dry in one hour. I wasn't terribly convinced, but I told him to proceed and hoped for the best. Around 12.30, I got into my car and went off to do a few errands, because the weather forecast had changed considerably. They were now forecasting heavy rain with possible flooding to begin during the evening commute. As the afternoon progressed, clouds moved in swiftly. By 5.30, the rain began with no end in sight, and torrential flooding was being reported in many areas. Meteorologists on every local TV channel preempted the news and were giving minute-by-minute updates of lightning strikes, flooding, and, oh my goodness, tornado sightings. By 6.15, I was getting constant pings from my cell phone and my home alarm system, advising everyone to be prepared to take cover as tornado cells were coming to Bucks County. Too much hysteria for me. Surely no tornadoes are coming here. But things became more ominous as the weather reports showed tornado cells coming closer to my area. Hmm... Might this be a good time to quote Dorothy's famous line, There's no place like home. There's no place like home. At 7.05, a clap of thunder struck that sounded like a sonic boom over my house. I froze. I thought the house was going to collapse. And then immediately, there was a powerful gush of wind. I looked out my front window and noticed parts of my neighbor's fence was up in the air along with spiraling pieces of wood from the children's treehouse. Uh-oh, closet time! I ran into my hall closet and hunkered down. 
I tried to get my dog into the closet with me, but all of the noise and excitement was too much for him. I prayed over and over in the closet, beseeching the Lord's protection. I covered my head as I continued to hear, bang, bang, bang. Whatever was flying through the air was colliding into my house on the outside. And then it was over. Dead silence. I ran to the door, looked outside to see a scene that resembled a movie set. All the neighbors were walking up and down the street in disbelief. Big trees had come down, some crashing onto cars, some completely covering the entrances to their homes. Sheds were uplifted and tossed 50 feet away. Downed electric wires were everywhere. Some houses had portions of their roofs ripped off. Downed trees blocked roads, making it difficult to get in or out of the community. Sadly, one house was crushed by a huge pine tree. Luckily, no one died or was injured. Damage to my home was minimal. The top of my cedar tree snapped and landed on my roof. I found a part of a lawnmower blade in my backyard, along with a three-by-two-foot cover from a utility transformer. I guess these were the thuds I heard while in the closet. No one had electricity for three days, and the buzz of chainsaws from tree service companies continued for the next few weeks. It was later determined that an EF3 tornado had touched down in my lovely Concord Park community. The only silver lining with the tornado was that it brought people together. Neighbors reached out to help one another. People from outside the community came to check on us and brought us food. And the police and firemen were fantastic. The day a tornado hit Trevos, Pennsylvania will go down in history. And I'm lucky to still be here to tell you this story. Hello, I'm Peter Waits. And this is a story entitled Angels, as read by me. What follows was written somewhere around 10 or 15 years ago. It was submitted as a guest opinion in my local newspaper, the Bucks County Courier Times, and it was in response to an article they published against a then recently enacted law that allowed same-sex marriage in Massachusetts. The editor refused to print this letter. He said if he did, they'd come after me and kill me. That's a quote. That's really what he said. I assured him they, whoever they were, would come after me, not him. But he wasn't convinced, so he never published it. It has always been one of my favorites, and it's about angels, and here's how it goes. The population of the world is growing, and the trend is that it will continue to grow. Many people believe we are born with a guardian angel. So that means that the supply of guardian angels has to be increasing at the same rate as the world population. And that brings up the question, where are all these angels coming from? Does God have a factory? Does he have a factory in heaven, or are they creating themselves in the same way that we humans create one another? Some years ago, my wife volunteered us to assist at a fundraising event. After our shift was over, the organization provided us with stale refreshments as compensation for our efforts. As we were sitting around a table chatting, one of the other volunteers stood up and proclaimed, I know everything there is to know about angels. If you want to know anything about them, ask me. I accepted his offer, and I asked him, what do they have for breakfast? 
I've never heard of a sick angel, and they seem to have long lives, so I figured, hey, if we mortals could eat the same thing as the angels, perhaps we could enjoy better health and increase our life expectancy too. He apparently didn't think my question was reasonable, and he didn't answer me. Instead, he got red in the face, glared at me, and then he quickly stomped out of the room. I never got a chance to ask him my follow-up question, which was, where do all the angels come from? Their existence and their large numbers have puzzled me until now. Here is my answer to my own follow-up question. I don't think God has a factory because if God were creating them, there'd be some uniformity of competence, and it is obvious that the competence of the guardian angels is erratic. Some people have charmed lives. Other people live in misery. So the guardian angels aren't being created with cookie-cutter abilities. That suggests they have to be creating themselves the same way we do it. They do it with the same mixed results. In other words, angels engage in sex. There's a strong belief in Satan, but I've never heard of a Mrs. Satan. When Abraham and the biblical story entertained guests in his tent, the guests, said to be angels, were men. Gabriel and Michael are the only angels with a name, and they are males. Actually, the only angels I've ever heard about are males, and of all the angels are males, then angelic procreation is a strictly male enterprise. The conclusion is therefore obvious. Since there were angels before there were people, except for the heterosexuals that get there, heaven was initially and still is overwhelmingly populated by gays. If gays in heaven are having sex, and if the only sex God allows is between married couples, then God has given his blessings to, and he himself is performing same-sex marriages. Since religious people want to duplicate here on earth what takes place in heaven, then same-sex marriage should be allowed for the gays here in the United States too. It thus turns out that Massachusetts, when it recognized same-sex marriage, was simply carrying out God's plan. New Jersey and Vermont allow same-sex unions, and they are on the right path, but obviously they aren't exactly right with God. Because we like to think of ourselves as a godly people, the religious folks who have opposed same-sex marriage should recognize that when they say gays are immoral, they are making a terrible, terrible mistake. They should stop their discrimination— they should stop their discriminatory utterances and stop their practices and stop calling for a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage. Instead, they should be insisting that gays be encouraged to marry, and the errant clerics who opposed it should now be proud to be godlike in performing the gay marriages in their houses of worship. Amen. Hi. This is Melinda Gordon, and this is Dancing with Grown-Ups, as read by me. On a Friday afternoon, in the early days of spring, anybody driving or walking down the street that runs between Ben Salem's two middle schools could probably have felt the electricity in the air and may have wondered for a moment if a storm was brewing. There was a sparking, jumping, invisible web that connected the two buildings, usually fueled by athletic competition, school spirit, or the anticipation of a holiday. This particular Friday, though, it wasn't the kids who were generating the power surge, but the faculty. I was the newest member of the Neil A. Armstrong Middle School staff, 
and I had no idea how to behave among these people who I considered grown-ups, let alone what to do when one of them showed up at my classroom door with what sounded like a command rather than an invitation. The Colonial, 3.30, he said. I looked up to see a very handsome face in a brown corduroy jacket with elbow patches and a stylishly wide tie casually posed against the light green tile that ran halfway up the wall. He was looking at me through dark and sparkling eyes and was pointing his index finger at me for effect. For a second, I was hypnotized. My brain did a quick scan of the situation to make sure he wasn't talking to somebody else. But since I was the only one in the room, I made eye contact, and I think I may have even nodded. Everyone's going, he said. Just follow the cars out of the lot. And then he was gone. Those who were lucky enough to have a last period prep were already in their cars in the parking lot, hoping to beat the massive yellow caravan that would hit the road at 3.05, carrying some 1,200 6th, 7th, and 8th graders to their homes. Others, like me, waited until the buses had gone and then made their way out into the sunshine and promise of the weekend. Driving the three miles up the road, I questioned my sanity. I don't go to bars. I don't drink. I don't have anything to talk about, and I really don't know what to expect. Before I could say turn around, though, my Camaro had somehow parked itself, and I was entering a new world. The door was squeaky and old. Opening it brought bright light into the room and let swirls of smoke out. The bouquet of beer, cigarettes, and old lacquered wood carried me inside where I made my way to a seat at the far end of the room. An elderly lady tending bar brought a napkin and the requested ginger ale, welcoming me with a smile and assuring me that she would be right there should I need anything, including a bowl of her homemade soup. Her name was Wanda. I loved her immediately. There was happy chatter everywhere. Bragging rights over darts games and calls of next for the pool table could be heard over the jukebox and the clashing of shuffleboard discs on the highly polished table. More and more people poured into the little place and there was room for all. Spare change on the bar was scooped up to fuel the music and packs of cigarettes were communal. Afternoon turned to evening, and the crowd thinned. I had nowhere to be, so I stayed, watching, and maybe learning a bit. People that I knew only as Mr. or Miss from school included me in conversations and general silliness. I loved being part of the secret world of my faculty. A new scent entered my space suddenly. It was intoxicating. I looked up to find the same dark eyes that had earlier hypnotized me now smiling directly at me. He held a fistful of change and asked me to pick out some music. A simple but mighty gesture and an omen of things to come. We chose the music together and the magical scent of the mysterious aftershave stayed with me. I was as dizzy as a 14-year-old. The following Friday afternoon, I raced home from school and changed into casual clothes, took care of my dogs, Casey and Dewey, and headed for the Colonial. This time, I tried my hands at darts and a game of pool. Everybody was friendly, and for the first time in an awfully long time, 
I was having fun. A group decided to go to another place where there was live music and dancing. It was the disco age, and I was not a fan, but once again came under some sort of spell and ended up in a strip shopping center at a little place that was screaming rock and roll music out into the street. Yay! No disco! Ushered in by my post-teenage crush with those dark eyes, it took me a while to adjust to the dark. This was a dinky, seedy little place. What the heck was I doing there? My question was answered quickly when standing became dancing and the room jumped up and down. It took us a minute to find our rhythm, me with my glam rock bop to every beat and he with his rhythm and blues swagger, but we were both smiling and laughing as we found our middle just as the song was coming to an end. We danced all night and every week afterward. Without effort, we had blended together and bonded over our mutual love of music, dancing, and soon, each other. Through the years, we've navigated every imaginable type of dancing, even country line, and have had an enormous amount of fun. Our kitchen dance parties eventually grew to include our daughter, Manon, and an occasional pup or two who just happened to be in the room. The music and the dance continue. This year, we celebrate 40 years of marriage, and there will be dancing, I am sure. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening on a podcast app, please hit the subscribe button to be notified when we release future episodes. For more information about the podcast and the authors, visit asreadbyme.com. You can also find us on Twitter, and you can stream video versions of the show on YouTube and Rumble. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help us keep it ad-free, please consider supporting us by visiting asreadbyme.com and clicking the donate button. If you're a writer and would like to read something on an upcoming episode, send an email to writers at asreadbyme.com.